0: From the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles.
1: It's the Craig Needles Podcast, and it is the Friday Roundtable here at Classic ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever you get your podcasts. I am broadcasting from a radio studio, which is a viable business. Let's have a conversation (laughs) with (laughs) uh, Shauna Lukowitz, the former NDP candidate, is here with us today, as is political insider Scott Collier. And pinching in for Kelly Elliott, who's had uh, a bit of car trouble. She sent me a picture of a... Of attire last night it didn't look good. Uh, AJ Ray has been kind enough to join us today. Who I guess you ran into Scott at breakfast today.
2: So I did. Was, <laughs> we had a great breakfast. It was convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and, and shout out to the folks over at YOU. Uh, another uh, another excellent event put on by them. I was working mornings on uh, on Classic Rock ninety eight one today, uh, the, the viable radio station that we have here in London, and uh, I was not able to go. Usually I, I do like to go and, and stop in, but I heard it was really good, it was guys. A, it was a good event. It oh, was a great event. Awesome. Uh, glad glad to hear that. Uh, let's. Get right into to news this week, and and the biggest thing that was going on, well, basically all the biggest stories that were going on locally were about London Police, and nationally were about London Police too. I want to focus on the local, and we talked quite a bit about the Hockey Canada thing last week, but uh, locally the London Police budget conversation continued, and there wasn't a whole lot of changes here. Now there were some councillors that were trying to make some changes those changes did not go over particularly well changes that i thought would have been worthy of of perhaps further examination especially when it comes to library funding we'll talk about that in just a little bit uh, but shot of the the number is still looking like 672 million dollars Uh, Where do you think Londoners are at on this? Because I'm hearing from people that think it's, of course, far too much. People that think, I don't think this is going to impact my life necessarily. There there are people that are are, are supportive of it. But where do you think the community generally is at on this?
0: Well, I think in those first two categories, if that made up the majority, I think that would tell you that, you know, obviously there's too much that's going to the police. Uh, I think there is a growing swell of people who are pushing back on this particular budget item. And, you know, for a long time, I think people were just unaware right they were unaware that it was going to be you know this five percent of an 8.7 percent yeah uh, taxing i I think we're
1: down to 8.8.6 now but yeah it's uh it's somewhere in the mid to high eight
0: right right and that's a significant amount and i know that you know later on we're going to talk about transit and libraries but really in the context of the police budget i think those types of services and the fact that you know in terms of transit arts the library that these things are not being funded to the degree that they need to. And yet we are giving, you know, 5% of our budget to the police. And let's be clear, you know, we're talking about items like another light armored vehicle. Mm -hmm. We're talking about tasers. We're talking about a facility when literally the library's like roof is, you know, leaking. The $24
1: million for phase one of the training facility. Exactly.
0: And so, you know, I think more and more people are seeing that these are nice to haves and they're not needs. And in a time when there are real economic constraints and people are hurting and the city is hurting, absolutely. Um, it just doesn't make sense to many people that I'm talking to that this amount of money is going to the police and so you know I think that councillors and the mayor are hearing more and more people and that you know that's what we need to, to expect of Londoners is to keep pushing on this because it's not over
1: and, and I don't know if any or all of you heard it but dr. Leslie because is on my podcast on Tuesday and I thought it was a very interesting conversation kind of laid out uh, where this is at and sort of uh, what she sort of envisions as, as the future of, of, of policing and if you want to hear that and, and didn't get a chance to go go back and listen to it because you'll you'll get some stuff out of that Uh, aj big money for the police obviously and as we continue to try and build a city and there's a city with a lot of problems uh there's going to be criticism that hey this is too big a chunk of change relative to where we've uh the, the other amounts of money that we put into some of our other boards and commissions what do you think
2: well i think really from my perspective it's walking it back to what's the population growth that's been in london we are this fastest growing metro region Mm -hmm. in the province, we're the third fastest growing metro region in the continent, and so unfortunately the bills come due. When it comes to public safety. Yes. And, and we've been
1: not paying that bill for a little while here. We have and had to get to it and, and Scott, I'm sure we, for on, decades. Scott will agree, we haven't been paying yeah. the bill on transit either. Exactly.
2: Uh, but transit or library. Yeah. 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 Well, there you <laughs> we go. Have a, have a list. We, period. <laughs> we haven't been paying the bill. And yes, that includes pieces, police, that includes transit, and that this includes is a libraries. Several council's back. Thing. Exactly. Yes. And so for me, when you look at the population growth numbers and you look at the core aspect of the police funding request for the number of officers, It is relatively in line with what the ratio was in 1990 Mm -hmm. with London police. And so if we want to keep that same ratio of officers to population, there is going to be an outsized growth in that budget. I am in full agreement with Shauna, though, on some of the nice to haves. Those yeah. are nice to have. They they're would not argue necessary. they're need to have. They're not need to haves yeah. because I have yet to see the police board get up in front and defend that decision at police board and say, this is why we need a second armored vehicle. This is why we need a training facility instead of continuing to send our officers to the Ontario Police College for training. Those are the types of arguments that I have yet to see the police board actually make that this is why we need that in this budget for this next year four years.
1: And I'm in the same space as you from that that perspective. I'm okay with hey we need some more officers here. We're way behind on a per capita basis. We've talked on this podcast before. Call volumes are up for a lot of reasons. Now there are other ways of course to limit call volumes but uh, call volumes are up for a lot of reasons and the delay in calls being responded to is significant as well. When someone breaks into your house you don't want to wait 72 hours for police officers to show up. I agree with that. When someone is and I've used this example several times because I think it's a good one when someone is hanging around the a parking lot who shouldn't be they should be able to call the police and have somebody show up pretty quick yeah you would want that uh so I, I I do not reject that they need more officers I agree officers are overworked the other stuff though as you said we're asking for a lot of things at the same time here maybe it's time to say okay you can have your other officers yeah. but I don't know if you need
3: these things too Scott what do you think um hmm. I think you know policing and police budgets are really abstract when you here a a giant number, but when you actually talk about police intersection with your day to day life, I mean I, I will say as as chair of the downtown business association, we actually um, made re- representation uh, at the PPM to kick off uh, budget season uh, a couple of weeks back, and supporting the police budget actually was the number one thing on our list. And um, just you know, of course, if you own or operate a business in the downtown and Issues with respect to vandalism, like holdups, like like actual um, uh, you know thefts and 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 burglaries and 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 cash thefts. I mean, that stuff is actually going on and and you know I mean and not being investigated in a well, timely there's, manner. Well, there's there's examples yeah. of of people receiving you know up to fifteen hundred dollars in you know counterfeit one hundred dollar bills where you're not actually sending a police officer out, right? So I mean, there's been uh, I think that's where the, the, the public measure is. And I, I can agree. see where there's actually public pressure to, mm-hmm. to do that. I mean, I you know, agree. talked about, you know, my break in on appearances, you know, uh, previous here where, you know, I had to to wait as well. And, and you know what? I, I understand that. But at the same time, you know, people actually are paying for a police service. Where I have challenges, you know, $672 million over a four-year horizon is a very aggressive ask and you know i congratulate the police service you know for getting the lpa in line getting the lpsb in line and you know chief Trong actually going out to i think pretty much every single councillor's uh local budget meeting to mm-hmm. directly explain his ask to the, the the people that were there i think that was really uh smart uh work i guess i agree with
1: that i just want to ask you about one thing with that scott because you're on a couple of boards and committees yep. in the city was Kelly Peleshny given that same opportunity as the chief of police was? Uh, or were, were you given that opportunity or Cheryl Ruth? Or, or you know what I mean? Like, what was transit given that same chance to go to those meetings that the police were?
3: I, I'm just curious about that. And I don't know what the Obviously, is. You know, I, I don't think we were brought along by the hand. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but I also think that, you know, a lot of people knew that there was going to be a very aggressive police ask. And, and yeah. you know, they were out on top of that with respect to their GR. Our GR, you know, in terms of what we were doing for library and and, you know, transit was, you know, us as commissioners or as trustees in the library board, we had all of our talking points. You know, we have intersections with counselors where we're actually making our case. And, you know, mm-hmm. our, our GR effort is more, you know, one-to-one. Right. Um, so, but, you know, back to the the $672 million, right. The the... Timing of that in terms of trying to get this into a discrete four-year block has created so much pressure to, you know, Shauna's point about being more than half of what our increase is actually going to be. And I don't want to disagree with, you know, particular line items and, you know, quite honestly with the civilian oversight of the budget. It's not like as if we'd have really a lot of opportunity to amend it, So, but park that. But what I would suggest is, hey, maybe we could look at this in a five-year or a six-year timeline where, you know, we stage the operating impact of the training facility, which we already bought uh, the school, um, yeah. to, you know, further on down the budget, just to create a little more headroom for the rest of us so that, you know, I'm not arm wrestling, you know, to get two-tenths of a of a, a percentage point in terms of increase mm-hmm. um, to fund transit.
0: Yeah so I think it's I agree with a lot of what you've said um, and I definitely you know, validate people's uh, safety concerns in the downtown and the challenges mm-hmm. that businesses face. Absolutely. But I think the police need to account for um, you know, their lack of response time by more than a budget ask, by more than saying we just don't have enough officers because I don't think that's the full answer and I mm-hmm. don't think it's the full solution. And you uh, mentioned your podcast with Leslie Bicos and I would encourage people to go and listen to that because Leslie very clearly outlined so much of the evidence where more police presence more investments in police services does not equal greater safety or less crime and in fact you know when we're talking about response times we're we're talking about reactions to safety and the types of things that we are underfunding whether that be libraries transit housing and homelessness and everything, including the arts, are things that actually increase social safety nets. Social infrastructure is what keeps people well and safe and you know, safer communities. And so I think that that's more of the conversation that we need to be hearing um, out in the community because it is such a falsehood that more police equals greater safety. The evidence just clearly does not support that.
1: Uh, yeah, and here's the thing. I, I would agree with that. I think that there is, I suppose, some conversation to be had about hey, does more police equal greater safety? Not necessarily. But does more, pol- like, do we have enough police? No. Like, both those answers, you know what I mean? Like, we may not have enough, but more doesn't necessarily mean more safe. Does that, does that you know what I mean? Like, I know th- th- that seems counterintuitive, but that's that's where, where I'm at on it. And uh, you can listen to my conversation with Leslie, but one of the things we point out is, hey, wouldn't it be great if police didn't have to go to mental health calls? And I've talked about this in the podcast 100%. before. But the one way to have it so police officers have fewer things to do and can get to things faster is to have more police officers. Another way is to send police officers to fewer things. Yeah. Well, and but that's we- where I think we need to be working is send police officers to fewer things
0: yeah I 100% agree with you and I think but it's, it's about sending the right people yeah. to the right place and police officers are not the right people to be sending to and, mental health calls and, and they are overworked it's not their job it's yeah. not their job. they yeah. are overworked they are overextended police officers absolutely are and so I agree but it's about you know who's the best person to respond to those things
1: right and it's typically not a police it's in not. a lot of cases I'd like a mental health professional to do that but you have to be Build that service and this is a province thing too it's not just uh, yeah. it's 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 not just the city of London but you have to build that service where there are those professionals who are on or able to do that maybe you can hire one that makes $90,000 a year to work at the library. Yeah, Perhaps, we what tried. A, I know you did, I know you asked. It was a good but ask, yeah. it was a good ask. And, and Skylar Frank, uh, the the Ward 11 counselor uh, put that forward and said hey what are we to you know chip off 90k of the police budget here which a lot of money relative to what's going on and, and see if we could get that library mental health worker. And she kinda of ran into a brick
3: wall there and I didn't love that.
1: Yeah. I, I that, that was at least yeah. worthy of some from conversation that didn't occur in my opinion. Well I,
3: I think you know that was a little bit frustrating just in the sense that so many of the sitting councillors actually campaigned on this notion of coast, right? Yeah. So the um, social work program uh, being run out of St. Joe's, it's actually sort of I would say diversion, but I mean running in parallel with police service for those calls that don't rise to the need for an arrest, but actually need, a, you know, a mental health, social work de-escalation, right? Um, where where was the money for that? And, and you know, we're, we're talking about relative values of dollars. You know, a uniform dollar, you know, a uh, uniform officer what, $110,000 in terms of first-class constable salary. Roughly. Yeah. So about Which hun- I'm okay with our police being No, 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 no paid I'm, well. not, I'm not talking I about know, wages here. Not, but, I'm, yeah. you know, $150,000 per head count. you know, fully loaded up in terms of, you know, contributions and everything else. Contrasted with, you know, what a social worker would be making, right? And not even going to get into the the, the societal comparative value of of either of those positions, but just in terms of just a cost avoidance. It's like I can actually other. have yep. two social workers for one police officer, and there was no conversation with respect to that. And you know what? I think you know we need to be doing both, right? Yeah. I, I think you know we need to be ramping up. We need to actually have you know call triage and diversion, and then we actually need to have the the, the supports. Um, to do that and I just find it funny that we're going to this budget cycle and I, I reviewed you know his worship's uh, campaign platform uh, you know when he ran and I mean you know on you know the safety and security and policing page you know we're talking about Coast and I'm just okay where was that yeah. mm-hmm. and I mean you know not trying to, to to dunk on on the mayor here but you know we've got this big giant hairy you know ask of, of a budget coming from from LPS which is just crowding out So, taking so much oxygen, right? Yeah. Yeah, And that's frustrating.
1: Yeah, and I I get it. And I I will say this. I am, in the first 10 months that he's been on the job, I have a lot of very good things to say about Ty Trong. I think he's handled a lot of things well. I think there are some things that have gone on within London Police that wouldn't have been going on with another police services that have caused the the service to be a little less flexible on things. I've got a lot of good things to say about Ty Trong, and he's made a big budget ask here. But, you know, when in my son's birthday comes up he asked me for 10 toys and i typically say
2: oh you can have three someone's got to be telling him you can have three yeah. you know and, and that's that's the and thing. that should be the job of the police board yeah. but unfortunately yeah. i'm not i'm not calling out members of the police board there because i don't know the conversations that they're having in closed door meetings i don't know the conversations that have been going on and the evidence that may be confidential that they saw from the police to approve this budget but the problem here is Council explicitly is not supposed to be interfering directly in police operations. Right. That's the job of the police board. That's what the act is. But the problem is, we're not appointing people to the police board with instructions of the priorities. That should be put down on police to say, this is the overall framework of where we want you to take it. I actually think the chief's operational plan for what he's expecting to do with these new officers and redistributing workload to try and address traffic violence, to try and further support coast. He's not explicitly mentioning it, but it's interesting to see what he's targeting in regards to deploying those officers to almost recreate coast within the police infrastructure. But that's a conversation all the experts have been having of that the police infrastructure itself is not the vehicle to achieve those goals and so we need the provinces help to actually open up the police act re- mm-hmm. review and we also need to maybe look at you know what they're proposing to do right now in Burnaby with a new public safety division that integrates all these different services into one place so that there is that ability to, to do call diversion there is that ability to, respond to the public in a way that they feel that they're actually getting the service that they're paying for, while on the other side, not overly criminalizing and throwing people into jail, which, again, we're not even talking about, well, yeah, we add a bunch of new officers, but if we don't add a bunch of new judges at the courthouse, it's not like those people are going to you know, be behind bars if they truly did commit yeah. a crime, or they're going to be stuck behind bars for months and months on end because they can't get a fair trial within a speedy enough time. And so there's there's a huge amount of issues here, and and really it's it's frustrating because this is a bill that's come due from 30 years of underfunding in this city, and the police was one part of that. Right. But I think, you know, it's the same conversation we can have about the library. It's the same conversation we can have about transit. It's the same conversation we've been having about housing. And it's unfortunate where we're at today, but it is decisions that are piling, piling up now.
0: Now, you just did a good segue (laughs) if we wanted to move on to the other topic. But I want to just uh, point out one thing that's on a different vein in regards to the police budget. And you touched on it a bit when you talked about the police services board and how the decisions would be made. And also, Scott, when you were talking about, you know, good on the police, they went out to Uh these counselors, public participation meetings and spoke to the public on it. No way along before the police services board approved this budget, was there a way for residents to understand the context of this budget? within the bigger budget and what the impact would it it mean on other services and so now when residents are coming forward some are being told you know well it's a little too late you know it's already been approved there's nothing that council can do and I don't buy that I don't buy that and I think the public should continue to put pressure on the council the police services board wherever the decision needs to change and shift because i don't think that from a democratic standpoint that residents of london have had an opportunity to speak to the budget prior to it being approved by the police services board in the context of the larger budget and what it would mean in terms of other services that aren't being funded
1: yeah i wanted to talk about the the swat competition too which like just
2: i I get it you gotta you gotta discount Bad week for that to yeah. have come out. <laughs> yes. I think not the, Chief the week he has to been out. learning lessons about time and place, yeah. and when to be saying and when and, to be releasing info.
1: And, and and there you go. And and the time and place thing came up on the at the news conference on Monday yeah. in a question that I asked, and uh, it was a whole thing. And uh, but again, I I think that Ty Trong's done a good job. I think Ty Trong's done a good job reaching out to to communities in London who are not necessarily considered to be pro police. I know they had a big uh, conversation between police officers and, and indigenous leaders in this community this week. That some of those uh, uh, indigenous folks came away from feeling, feeling pretty good about where things were at, where things were going. That's good. I like to hear that. But uh, it's just, it's, it's been a rough couple weeks. It's been a rough couple weeks. Uh, Scott, I, a couple of LTC buses have gone by me while I was talking just now. And for all we I'm know, I'm sure jam packed. That's, that's what I was going to say. For all we know, those buses were filled to the brim, and people wanted to get on them and couldn't do so. So if it had cost 150000 dollars a year to have a police officer, how much would it cost to have another six to Huron Heights that just went by me uh, and <laughs> come along and pick up the people who got left
3: behind by the first bus that we just saw? Well, we had an ask, uh, um, actually in our original uh, growth business case, of 25,000 service hours per year, um, which... Just on a, on a quantum, I mean, just for people to understand, um, a typical route, if we were to, to launch a new route, be about twenty thousand five hundred service hours. Uh, so, I mean, you're getting you know a route in a little bit. Um, for crowding, as an example, any additional bus that we add to a, to a route um, is about forty eight hundred service hours. So you know, for that 25,000, we could get five additional buses to deal with, with crowding. So, you know, you're talking about the Huron Heights, but I mean, the, the four, the 104, the six, the 106, the 13, all these buses, you know, particularly they're going to, to Fanshawe Western are in a lot of cases, you know, particularly, you know, coming from non-traditional student areas are driving past people full. Like if you're standing at the corner of Sarnia and Wonderland, um, you know, in living in those apartments there, Castle Grove and, and what have you, buses are driving by you because they're already full, and in some cases have been full since Westmount. Um, so, our ask actually, yes, it translates into to uh, you know a, a pressure in terms of, of what the uh, um, final number is going to be. But I mean, it was it was pretty moderate. Um, so the mayor lined itemed that out of his budget. Um, so the commission actually met on the 31st of January which was our regularly scheduled commission meeting and we of course had the mayor's budget in hand so we had the item of added item of what to do we could resubmit our original business case which we didn't we scaled it back and we said okay let's go with 18,000 hours realizing okay we'll put a little bit of water in our wine but something is better than nothing just to deal with the issues that we know that we are experiencing i mean um Our second car is a LTC bus. I Mm -hmm. took LTC down this morning to um, uh, the breakfast. And I mean, just sidebar story, I was at the bus at 7 o'clock, 6 Richmond, at Grosvenor and uh, Richmond, you know, where I live, St. Joe's Hospital. Number six connects uh, Western, UH, St. Joe's Mm -hmm. with the downtown and to um, LHSC, um, Westminster Campus and Parkwood. So two or three of the top four employers in the city are actually on that bus route. And my bus at seven o'clock was the bus that I was on. The next bus that was on the schedule, 735. So you're running a 35-minute uh, headway there.
1: Would be at, okay if that was 20 minutes.
3: Yeah, but at yeah. seven o'clock in the morning when people yeah. actually are trying to get to work and, yeah. and you know nurses are coming off and going on and, and what have you, that's the kind of pressure that we actually have with, with the service that that we've got today so that the the base business case is great that keeps the heat and hydro on but the service hours you know is really what we're counting on and unfortunately that failed on a very close vote so we're with
2: some pr- surprising counselors voting in the yes direction which was there
3: was good. a fair amount of gr that was actually yeah. applied yeah. to uh, to try and actually um get counselors to see a a, a new and different point of view and we're going to try and continue to see if we can get something added uh, to the agenda for when uh, they get back together again on on the fifteenth. We'll we'll see. Not it better get on there. It's a, it's worthy of a conversation.
2: Yeah, it's worthy of a talk. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, we're we're actively actively trying, but you know, again, it's you know comes down to will and votes. And and I mean, the mayor and the deputy mayor have been you know very clear as to what their priorities and directions are, and you know, they're very very strong voices. So you know we'll see uh,
1: I want to ask you because the way that it would be framed here and, and this has been, it's been framed this way by the mayor in a, in a few places this is the biggest LTC budget that anyone's ever written this is the biggest checked LTC any councils ever written so they would say hey we're writing we're giving you the, the biggest number of dollars you've ever had you guys got to you know figure it out and, and get find some some more service hours out of that your response would be scott
3: well i mean <clears throat> the challenge that we have with COVID is you know i mean one you've got a three-year you know window where you know for two years of it we had backdoor boarding and we weren't actually getting anything in the fare box at all um, we had safe restart funding and you know we as a commission we're being good doobies and we we're using our operating reserves to actually backfill that uh, any shortfall that actually occurred, in order to to actually protect fiscal room for the city. We didn't want to go back to the city in you know mid-cycle. We decided that you know we were going to eat that. That unfortunately we 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 uh, emptied that cupboard out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we've had, you know, the same inflationary pressures that, you know, if you're a car operator that you've got, fuel is going to go up 34%. Um, the one thing that the commission can directly control is labor costs because we control the, uh, the, uh, the collective agreement. And yeah. we actually kept that to 14%, which I think actually was hard work on, on the part and of the that's over four commission. years. That's over four years. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Um, you know, insurance, 70%. Bus parts, so, you know, to drop a new engine in the bus, which we do basically about once a year, 141% inflation. Um, so, you know, a lot of supply chain impacts are actually coming in here where, you know, the cost of actually just running the bus service that we have is getting more expensive. What's it cost to buy a bus these days? Um, capital cost of a bus. Uh, a um, 40-foot bus, I think, was up about a half million dollars. It's now 760 a 60-foot articulated bus is up over a million dollars now you know the great thing about buses I mean the capital and they really don't impact uh, the levy as much directly and we've got lots of federal supports and provincial supports or gas tax actually um, help us you know buy uh, our rolling stock Um, so really just sort of you know carrying the cost of, of financing them to actually hit our operating expense but I mean those costs are there. And then when we trans, uh, transition to zero-admission vehicles, that's another quantum of about another 50% that you're adding to a 40-foot or a 60-foot articulated bus. Yeah. Um, Which
1: I, I still think is a, is a good idea. I'd rather buy our fuel from London Hydro than from
3: whoever else is selling it. But still, there's, there's some upfront cost to that. Obviously. Well, there's the a yeah. cost, and there's also the cost of running two systems in right. parallel with each other, right? So, I mean, we're actually... We delayed on zero emission vehicles, trying to create a little bit of headroom, um, you know, in terms of that implementation. Um, you know, we've got, um, you know, just the challenges of, of trying to stand up the system. And currently, right now, as of you know, close of business yesterday or adjournment, um, or I guess they took a recess technically, as the meeting yes. hasn't ended, um, is you know, we're doing that with a zero percent um, growth uh, for the next four years.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, AJ, no new bus routes, no new time on the street. What kind of problem does that present in your mind? Or, or where do you stand on, on where this is settled from Council's perspective?
2: Well, again, it's coming back to that population growth. Yeah. And really in London in particular, It's also important to recognize that we've had incredible growth in non-permanent residents who often are students that are coming with a bus pass in hand that they pay for. They don't bring a car
1: with them typically. They (laughs) they
2: aren't bringing a car, they're not planning to buy a car typically. And they're paying for a service that they expect to receive service for. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what's happening now with, you know, what Scott's just laid out on the capital side, that's not the problem. It's not that they don't have enough buses. It's not that they don't have the right infrastructure. They don't have the money to drive the buses. It doesn't matter if it's a zero emission vehicle or diesel vehicle. You still need a driver on the road and you still need someone there Mm -hmm. running those service hours. And so what I think is going to happen over this four years, if they hold to zero percent, is we're going to see an issue with reliability. We're going to see frustration, which is then going to drive the users who can own a car and can drive to work to choose that option over transit which is gonna further clog up our roadways because we actually didn't build a BRT system. We have put some red paint down on a couple roads and we're calling it a BRT, but it's not. It's going to have massive traffic challenges as well. It's not gonna improve service times. And again, it doesn't get back to that issue of 35 minutes at seven o'clock in the morning on the route that connects three of the top four employers in the city. It's not gonna solve the challenge that the headway there is only 35 minutes. Right. When really we need to get that headway down to every 10 minutes on peak.
3: And And it's
2: really interesting that now I live in Kitchener, going back and seeing what Grand River Transit's done and has transformed since I did my undergrad there and now moving back. Mm -hmm. We are now in a situation in which I can walk up to pretty much any express route or our light rail system and there will be a vehicle arriving in the next 15 minutes around the clock. And that does so much for reliability. It does so much for instilling rider confidence in the system. And there are a lot of people now in Waterloo Region that are actually choosing to live in outlying areas without a car because they can access that rapid transit and get to where they need to every day. And so it's really unfortunate that we're at the 0%, which really, if you want to talk about population growth, is probably equivalent to about an 11% cut in the LTC budget.
0: Yeah, and I think the idea that um, you know buses are unreliable, that they're driving by people, you know, the city, the environmental impact of you know what you both discussed, I think, is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. If we are serious about our emissions in this city, and you know, using the climate emergency action plan transit should be funded Uh, you know it it wasn't a huge ask but there's another thing around safety and you know the city's uh, strategic priority around creating a safe city for women girls trans and gender diverse people and this topic came up in one of my classes at King's uh, this week with social justice and peace studies students we were talking about the environmental impact several of my women students put up their hands and said it's a safety issue for us I can't so tell not being you. safe
1: on the bus or because they're on waiting enough buses waiting for the bus, okay. right?
0: And so we know this, I mean, mm-hmm. transit is an equity issue, but this is how it translates in just one piece of it, is that when you're waiting for a bus and you can't count on that bus coming within the next 10 minutes and you're waiting downtown London for 30, 35 minutes and then maybe the bus doesn't even come and you have no other way home, That is an unsafe environment for a lot of people, for a lot of folks, and they will avoid using transit because of that. I just took a bunch of students to the Grand Theatre a couple of weeks ago. The production ended at 10.30. At least four of those women students were planning on taking transit home. Each of them had to wait a minimum of 30 minutes for that bus, downtown London. Anywhere in London, that would be an issue. At least one of them, maybe two of them, ended up calling an Uber because they couldn't rely on the bus, right? And so that reliability. So people who have an option, when... They don't feel safe when they can't rely, when they're going to be late for their job, when they're going to be late for their class. If they can, they will end up buying a car, which, you know, further hurts transit down the road. And so it's an important issue. And we need one more vote, uh, I think, to to move it in that direction. I hope it gets reconsidered. I hope that, you know, counselors who have supported the notion of a safe city for women, girls, and gender and trans people will reconsider their votes um, because I think it's important.
1: How much do you want, Scott? Well, I know. <laughs> Sorry.
3: <laughs> sun, let's, fra- let's put you on the, let's, the spot. Let's, let's phrase What's it What's the number? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, what was the original ask? So the original ask was for 25,000 service hours. So that was what was zeroed out by the mayor in his budget. We retooled as a commission, as I said, on the 31st. We uh, went back with 18,000 hours. That was what came out of our commission. Um, Councillor Ferrer came up with his own proposal, um, and Councillor Ferrer is actually also a a commission member. Yes. Um, So that was what was uh, debated yesterday. Ideally, I mean, we do have other avenues. So we have we, got you know um, the annual business case update, which you know will allow us to actually put something in uh, for something exogenous, and and we do have assessment growth as vehicles available to us. And the, the, the counselors have pointed this out. To yeah, me. I mean, the, the, the challenge with assessment growth is, I mean, the the business case isn't easy um, in the sense that. If you're talking about an unserved area, say like Foxfield up at uh, Fanshawe Park and and you know uh, Hyde Park and and Wonderland area of the city, I'm very popular in that neighborhood. <laughs> Are you? There you go. You can you can actually you can um, actually have a pretty discreet business case and saying, okay, we're going to connect you know to Masonville. The ridership that is coming out of that neighborhood is actually going to be associated with growth because it's an unserved area or you know Innovation Park and and you know what we were able able to do down there. Where it becomes a little bit murky is where you have got either population growth or um, growth feeding into, for example, the number 13, which you know goes from uh, Masonville uh, down to White Oaks, where we know that we've got growth actually going on that, but it's hard to actually say, oh, you're a growth rider versus you're an installed base rider, right?
2: Which has always been a flaw in the Development Charges Act of how you distribute out Growth for new transit versus growth that is inducing demand for transit.
3: Right. So we had previously had a conversation with City of London Finance, and we, you know, sort of agreed the rules of the road were going to be that we were going to go through the um, business case process as as part of the multi-year budget as a preferred. Uh, way of doing it, so now we're actually going back to assessment growth, and you know what, we'll we'll see what we can do in terms of actually trying to fit things neatly within that guardrail. So we need a little bit of both, right? So we're going to need that, and that'll be based on the business cases we put forward, and then the eighteen thousand, which you know is truly portable, where we can actually apply it where it is that we need in the system. That would be you know the additional buses or right. perhaps you know uh, increased service where we're looking at you know adjusting you know routes that. Um, you know, just route optimization. Because the other thing that we're doing is um, um, our five-year uh, plan with uh, the help of Dillon just to um, land on, you know, what transit needs to look like in London as we get ready to uh, stand up both the east and southbound legs of rapid transit. There's
1: that too. Uh, Shauna. I wanted to ask you, how much do, do the province and the feds here have You know, on their plate when it comes to where transit should be funded in the city of London, because I think there are some problems with the way that we run our municipalities, as far as the property tax base being kind of the only place where they can go for cash. And I know that some of our boards and commissions get money from outside of, uh, of London, clearly. But d- does any of this fall at the feet of the province and feds, do you think?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it falls at every level of government. And, you know, to the mayor's credit, I think him going back and saying, you know, talking about the ways that city are, 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 cities are funded and that it's, yes. you know... Yes, I hard agree with I, him on I, that. I, I think that yeah. that is absolutely necessary. I do think it's a little, you know, during the budget cycle, it, it, it's maybe not the best time to be doing it. This is when you actually right. have... The decision making power. This is when you are accountable to your budget and what you can do. And, you know, the LTC could use a whole lot more than what they asked the city for, for sure. And other levels of government should be chipping in and should be supporting. But I do think the city could be giving LTC what they've asked for in this budget at this particular moment, um, what's come before council. So Uh,
1: you you, you mentioned, but you you would agree with the mayor when he says, this is not how you build modern cities just out of a property tax base, you'd agree? Oh, a hundred percent.
0: It's not enough. It's
1: not enough. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, AJ.
2: I mean, that has been the perennial challenge with municipal government in Canada. We do not have the same funding tools that governments in the US and the UK and other Western nations have at the local level to capture and raise money. One of the biggest things that I think we need to talk about at the municipal level is a municipal sales tax. If we want to be capturing tourism growth and non-resident visitor growth, which London is becoming a destination for that, there should be a vehicle in which we can actually tax and capture that growth.
1: Well, ask Olivia Chow if she thinks that's a good idea. Well, <laughs> I think, I think, I, I, she think may.
2: <laughs> I think Mayor Chow is doing an outstanding job in Toronto. And again, similar to what's going on in this city, Mayor Chow is actually cleaning up decades of a mess there in toronto and really in this mayor's budget and unfortunately he's trying to clean up part of the mess but ignore still 30 years of mistakes and that's where i think why we're talking today about the fact that we do need more money in the system but uh, the other thing i'll say is there are a lot of people in this city who like to whine about their property tax but they actually got a pretty damn good deal
1: yes i agree with that i'd agree with that and here's the thing property tax is the worst tax we have and I, I've said this before on the podcast, and I'll say it again. i have said it on the radio. I've said it everywhere that I say things. Uh, it's the worst tax we have. However, right now it is the tax that the city of London is being run off. Right. And okay. th- th- like uh, th- those two things sadly have to compete with one another is, yeah, I want property taxes low too because it's the worst tax we have. But
2: what are our options? It, it's an effective yeah. tax for certain things. But the problem is we've shoehorned every last thing with the exception of user fee support on a select number of programs. Yeah into a tax that right. is I'm not explicitly designed to capture costs associated with infrastructure. Right. That, yeah, yeah, that's what clear. I'm not for. saying we shouldn't have property taxes. Yeah. All I'm saying is you
1: like, if if that's if it's covering everything, you, you can't do that because there, there are going to be some people with where the ability to pay does become a yeah. real issue because it's not taxed based on, hey, how much money do you make or how much money do you have? It's how much is this place where you live worth? Yes. And yeah, there, there's that too. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk libraries before we go, Scott, because I know that Council Trosso was... Uh, uh, Pushing to try to get some uh, some more funds with the library. Uh, Counselor Frank was doing the very same thing. Uh, you and Counselor Trostow see eye to eye in most things.
3: Uh. <laughs> oh, I do as much as I see eye to eye with yeah, Sean. So. Yeah, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, there's a reason think. we're at opposite ends of the table. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe I'm mistaken there. Either way. No, no. Uh, there, there is conversation about, hey, what are we going to do with the library situation here? Because we've we've all seen the stories where we've got library staffers standing in rooms where there's a whole bunch of water coming in through the ceiling. Right. That seems bad to me. I'm I'm no I'm no architectural expert. <laughs> um, you
3: know what? Uh, yeah, that that would be bad. Um, yeah. sort of having wet materials is is not conducive. Oh, writing are not good when they're wet. Uh, yeah. An efficient collection, yeah. yeah. Um, Neither do computers. Do uh, also computers. are yeah. I mean. The challenge is that, you know, I, I, libraries have changed from, from you know, when I went to Mrs. Vowsden, and she was my public librarian in Orangeville, Ontario, and, you know, she'd select a book for me. Like, I mean... They have changed. I mean, really, in a lot of cases, I mean, particularly in in the central branch, it's become a third um, place um, for for people to go. Um, It's, you know, uh, a respite, you know, for uh, unhomed and underhoused individuals where they can come in and have a warm, safe, you know, place to be, cooled place um, in the summer. And I mean, that has its challenges. And I think I've said on this podcast, I mean, I think for the 2023 budget year, can't Think of the 2024 number off the top of my head, but I mean 2023, we were spending, you know, twice as much on security as we were for spending on the acquisition of, of books for children's collections. I mean, that says something, right? So there are new pressures that, you know, libraries that, you know, when we all think of the the public library um uh you know that we're experiencing that you know, we just don't have funding streaming for. It. Um there is you know, a small provincial funding stream. The the it's called the plug, <laughs> the public mm-hmm. libraries operating grant, that you know hasn't uh, hasn't moved at all. So I mean, pretty much it's a hundred percent on the levy. And I think really what you know it needs to 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 come down to the conversation is you know I think Londoners you know across the spectrum, um, you know, including you know the troglodytes out on the right like me understand you know the, the value uh, that you know libraries actually play in, in our system i mean t- to be honest i mean it's actually one of the most rewarding boards that i actually sit on um, but i think i said that at you this morning at the breakfast so <laughs> maybe i better start ranking uh, a little more carefully yeah. um,
1: well now the transit people are going to be sad exactly just like too many hats too many hats yeah. um,
3: but um, you know we understand the importance of of the library to the community and I think you know to get this across the finish line we just need to be reminding our politicians that we understand as as voters as as property taxpayers that this is something we willingly want to to provide money for and I mean you know again this is you know another one of these institutions in the city that has been cash starved for a while and I mean you know I came to town in 1986, and I'm pretty sure Tom Gosnell was mayor back then. God yes, rest would have his been. soul. Um, I love Tom. And Great um, You know, it was a point of pride in terms of, you know, London's, you know, tax levy per capita um, as, as, you know, being the lowest or close to the low, lowest in its comparator group. And I mean, that has actually, you know, cash starved a lot of the ABCs, the agency boards and commissions. Um, And, you know, we're, we're living, That legacy now where we're having, you know, these big catch-up asks, and of course, and we've sort of had an exogenous uh, inflationary event on top of that, which has just made things, you know, more expensive. Um, And then, you know, sort of compounding things on the, you know, sort of the, 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 the voter perception side is property tax bills um, arrived this week mine was sitting on my kitchen table when i came in from work on monday night and you know you take a look at you know what's being asked there what was you paid last year and you mark that up by you know eight and a half percent ten percent whatever the number is going to be that's a big number and then that's you know even before we get to reassessment so i i i'm glad i'm not a politician i'm i'm you know it's it's hard enough actually being a board member to try and stick-handle these things and, and you can at least have one-on-one rational conversations. Um, I would not – I feel the politicians' pressure when, um, you know, they're actually having to explain their decisions to an electorate, you know, particularly, you know, in today's economy too. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally
1: get that. It's, um, it's not – it's not good, and I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, but the budget for for city council should be easy." I know it's not easy. I'm not telling you that it's easy to do these things, and I understand there's there's political pressures and there's the idea of OCPC reviews and all these different things. I, I I get it, but I feel as though there should be ninety thousand dollars for a healthcare worker at a mental health worker for the central library somewhere. We uh, we can find ninety k,
2: and and I think we can find some money out of the capital reserve to make sure that there aren't roofs falling in and, and in library and, and, branches. And
1: that's something yeah. they And, doors, say. Stay
0: and yeah. doors stay open. And doors stay open. close communities. Yeah, we don't want to close branches. We, don't
2: we, want to, yeah. we want to go back to our first discussion. You know, Scott, the, the breakfast we just went to this mm-hmm. morning. I'm sure that the library could have thrown a similar event in which you had people with lived experience stand up and say, it wasn't a YOU worker and they do great stuff. It was a librarian that helped me. At sixteen, said Mrs. Faustin? Yeah. And Mrs. <laughs> Faustin. and or and that's the thing that unfortunately a library we,
1: computer that I was able to write up a resume on and got the job and got my it first is. job. There's tons of things and like that, of yeah,
2: course. And but the problem is when we're measuring at a library level, when the library board is putting forward the business case, it is really hard to quantify those types of impacts. And unfortunately, I think there's there's branches that are being considered to be closed that don't show up as highly used on some of the checkout measures or the computer use measures but if you were to actually go sit a city councilor down there for eight hours and have them watch what goes on in that building on one single day you would be shocked i think in the transformation of their views on what the library itself is doing for this city as not only just a public library but a social service center a care center a community hub and a place in which people can actually feel safe, and everyone in this city is welcome.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such critical social infrastructure. It really is. I mean, from the time in, you know, when we were young and we went to the library to now, the value and the importance of libraries has only grown. It has not diminished in terms of what it means for people. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find people who would say, yeah, I don't think a library is very important. I think they should just close because it touches so many people at different points in their lives and it provides critical resources for people who don't have a lot but even people who live in very affluent communities use their libraries why because maybe I can afford a book but there is something about going to the library with your children mm-hmm. or even alone all the programs that they run All the books that are on access, the people who work there, being out in your community, that is, as you said, AJ, isn't quantifiable, but is so integrally important to communities and to cities like London. And, you know, I remember before COVID, I'd look at the London Public Library and the things that they were doing, and I would just think, wow, this is really like cutting edge like the example that the london public library was showing of what libraries could be and where it was headed was tremendous obviously covid has had an impact i still think the library is you know vital service and and very important but what they are able to do has been diminished by funding by COVID by so many realities and we need to ensure that that isn't further compounded particularly for libraries like Carson and Glamworth that may be ones that are slated to close if there isn't more funding come from because I think you said it so well AJ if a counselor went and sat there and saw who came in there and what they used it for or spoke to people even about what the library means to them you know, in this rural community, where it may be the only third space that is available, the only service that these residents have access to in Old East Village in the Hamilton Road area, right? So many things have closed, including their school. That library is integral to families and the individuals who live there. Anna?
2: Yeah. And to bring the school board into this discussion, one of the other things that I find so frustrating about London—and sorry, this might be a little bit of a criticism, Scott—but I don't think it's actually right. the library board's fault is London for a long time has not f- followed up on the trend we've seen in Ontario of creativity in getting infrastructure built and social infrastructure built. You go to a lot of municipalities across Ontario now, you will find schools co-located with libraries, yeah. co-located with recreation centers, and that discussion is not happening whatsoever in this municipality. And unfortunately, it's it's Thames Valley that I think is the issue here of they've completely shut themselves off like Western, like Fanshawe, from a social responsibility and a civic duty to contributing to the rest of the community. Because I do think some of these infrastructure issues on the library and recreational center side could be solved by also helping TVDSB with their capacity right. challenges in building infrastructure that jointly serves different purposes.
3: I think we've come at it a different way, though. I mean, you yep. know, so we've got, you know, Stony Creek and, and the Boswick branch that are co-located with, with the WISE and, you know, uh, aquatics facilities. But and a Kansas lot of the time funded by development charges, not a core grant. Uh, this is this is true. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so we're, we're looking at, you know, having sort of, you know, new purpose-built facilities that actually will include a, a library as an, you know, a, as a co-anchor. I mean, Northwest, obviously, is going to be, or is growing. It's going to be getting, you know, sort of a, a multi-pad facility, uh, community facility that's going to be going there that, you know, we'd be interested in looking at um, the southeast, um, uh, so not East Lions, uh, but there's actually going to be another uh community facility going down sort of like, I don't know where the location is, but sort of like Hamilton Road, Jackson, you know, mm-hmm. that, that development down there, um, where we need a community center there that, you know, be looking at, you know, opportunity for, for library co-location. And then even the downtown, right? So, I mean, you know, we've got the, the central branch uh, downtown, but, you know, we're going to need a community center in the downtown. We're adding you know, 30,000 people. <laughs> attracting <laughs> residents into the downtown, wearing my downtown London hat, right? So we actually have been looking at That is in a way to, you know, average down costs in terms of, you know, heat and hydro and like, you know, all the things and benefits in terms of of co-locating. And then also making a library part of a multi-point visit where you're going to a community center. You're taking your kids to swimming lessons and that, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm going to swing into the library. Yeah.
1: Well, and and last thing on this, because I do want to talk about the media thing before we wrap up. Uh, To me, I think it's very clear that if you ask most Londoners, hey, do you want your libraries to stay open? hey, do you want a few extra buses on the road or do you want $24 million in police training center? I think I know what answer you're going to get. Yep. I think I know what, what, what most people in this community are going to say, and I don't think it'd be particularly close. So Agreed.
3: that's that's
1: that's that's where we'll leave that one. I uh, do want to talk about the news this week uh, from Bell where uh, <laughs> they have uh, let go more people go from their jobs, which seems to be all Bell ever does, uh, that and, and complain about cell phones. Uh, so they have done that and they have sold some radio stations. That part of the news I actually like. I'm happy that's happened. Uh, well, on the way up the door, uh, a Bell executive said that uh, uh, radio is not a viable business. Uh, I where am not, I standing right now, Greg? <laughs> doesn't matter where you are. Uh, I could not disagree more with that. I fundamentally disagree with it uh, in every conceivable way. It's a very viable business if you know how to do it right. I work for a company that knows how to do it properly. Maybe the, the big companies perhaps are not aware as to how you do this, right? And uh, there's a good reason why. I don't know about all the stations that Bell bought, but several of them, there were bidding wars. There were some bidding wars as far as, okay, we're selling a station in Owen Sound, Peterborough, ha- Hamilton, wherever. And multiple companies said, yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. And, we'll, and and and. And will bid over a million dollars in some cases. That, to me, would tell you that it is a viable business model, at least in the minds of some. I'm concerned about the impact on local news. Of course, there is not going to be weekend news on CTV in London anymore. Uh, that seems troubling to me. Uh, Shauna, what do you think of, of the the hit that uh, once again the, the local news ecosystem has taken here?
0: Yeah, I think it's. I think it's. Yeah I think it's a I would agree with a lot of what you said and I think there's a an impact in terms of you know at a time where uh, there is a lot of misinformation at a time where there are a lot of big issues you know that are locally based right that we need to be talking about to have less media is uh it hurts that and hurts a people's ability to be informed and to know what's happening in their communities and to engage in their communities uh, in a meaningful way. And, you know, it speaks to the these big conglomerates, this big corporatization of industries and why it doesn't work. And that gobbling up of like small, you know, community-led media and then just eliminating it is a good example of why local matters so much and why smaller is often better than bigger. And these aren't just, I mean, obviously there's the impact on the communities um, and, uh, you know, whether we will notice this particular cut but I think over time I think we're all sensing that there is less media out there there is Mm -hmm. less ways to get a diversity of information lots of good independent media rising up that I think we need to support that have broken really important stories over the last couple of years the narwhal comes to mind for one but there's many Um, but there's also jobs at stake right people we are putting more people out of work more people who don't have jobs and uh, the impact where those people live, on their families, and the places they go will also be felt.
1: It's it's not good. And, and Justin Trudeau today uh, had he was uh, spitting fire, as
2: <laughs> the kids say. I haven't it, seen him angry like that in a while. He
1: he said it, he was pissed off. He said that uh, it's uh, a garbage decision from a company that should know better. Uh, so yeah, there was uh, there was some negativity from the prime minister on this day. Jay.
2: Well, and I think going from Shauna, what I what I will say with this Bell. Uh, layoff like of course it's gonna happen they like anybody with two cents rattling around in their brain would have realized that you know this is where media was headed but i think really what we're seeing in the canadian media landscape is a decades of uh, conglomerations and buy-ups in which you know like i'm gonna call out post media I'm going to call out Metroland Media mm-hmm. buying up local papers to use them as mass advertisers to be able to coop that advertising money print it all out and send yeah. out garbage through fire, what was a local paper
1: fire a bunch of reporters fire a bunch of reporters nobody wants to read the paper anymore
2: Exactly. you shut it down because well there was nothing and possible. it's the same no. it's it's you know to use the unacademic term it's a death spiral and it's what has happened with transit. When you underfund transit, you get this death spiral of people not wanting to take transit. It's the same in media. You get this death spiral in which people don't want to read media or they're going to alternative media or independent media, which can sometimes have an ideological bent. There are independent media sources that I love that are um, nonpartisan and do great work. There are also media sources on both sides of the left and the right that have ideologically moved themselves into a position but are attracting a huge subscriber base because they are responding to a need for people that want coverage. I will say I don't subscribe to any local paper because I'm frustrated with the coverage I get out of said local paper because it's not being written by someone in my community and three quarters of the articles I get are Newswire, you know, Canadian press, which is not to say the Canadian press doesn't write good articles. It's just I want news about London and Southwestern right. you Ontario. Want local insight is what you I want local yeah. insight. I want news about Waterloo Region. And unfortunately, the way I now get that is actually going out and talking to some people and coming on Craig's podcast and listening to Craig's podcast, which maybe that is where media needs to go. But I I think also the problem is because we've destroyed so much local news infrastructure, we then can't actually have those new local news media branch out into different ways. I'll say Craig's done a great job in actually turning Blackburn into a multimedia channel par- partner with this podcast and some of his other work. Where was that with London Free Press? Right. Why is CBC London not doing that? And I get CBC London's underfunded, but you know when was the last time you saw a story about Bruce County in CBC London? If CBC London is supposed to be the branch that covers all of Southwestern Ontario to the edge of Chatham. And that's unfortunately another issue is we've also got a national broadcaster who's handing out hundreds of thousands of dollars of bonuses in the midst of layoffs and also is increasingly centralizing everything so that it only focuses on the news at the federal or provincial level and completely ignores what's going on in the local level.
0: Ooh, I think CBC London uh, would have something to say.
2: About uh, absolutely. That. I, I'm going to say they they are completely under resourced. I'm not blaming CBC London. I'm blaming CBC corporate. Yeah. Because they've lost the plot in my mind of what they're doing at a national level and the relationship to their local bureaus.
0: Yeah. I mean, I listen to CBC every single day. Surprise, surprise. I know yeah. it's shocking. Um, <laughs> you know, and, wet, and, and, too. <laughs> and, I, and I do hear stories from across. Yeah. Southwestern Ontario and 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 further afield and you know I think they're being compelled to do those stories and I and I think they do good stories in that way and it's an it, actually a reflection of the fact that they need they they need to expand beyond you know where they're located and and that's the expectation and and whatnot and particularly you know um, on some of the weekend shows and stuff where it becomes more regionally based and you're you know bringing uh, you know different markets together uh, for lack of a better word um, you know there's i think great coverage and you know obviously i'm going to argue that the cbc uh you know needs to needs to continue to be funded and i mm-hmm. think you know the things that we're saying here today exactly underscore why but i'm going to give scott a chance to talk yeah. before i more <laughs> rally well, the CBC um, on another radio station yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there
3: you go. i mean uh first full disclosure i was a 15-year bell employee so i uh, feel the pain of uh my my colleagues uh that are being well, the euphemism uh, when I was an employee was streamlined out of the organization. I don't know if they've moved on to different I'm sure language. Sure, they've
1: got something else. The HR <laughs> um, people are brilliant. Uh, yeah, exactly,
3: yeah. Um, but you know what I will say is, I mean the the, the media purchases that that Bell Media um, has made, the Globe and Mail, um, when you know the Globe was actually part of, of you know Bell and CTV. Yeah. Um, was uh, a vision of Jean Monti who was the CEO of BCE um, back in the 90s and early 2000s and um, he was talking about the three C's so the convergence of content and connectivity and you know, Bell was the, the pipeline provider. They had the connectivity. The internet was just sort of nascent in terms of, hey, we don't know what this, you know, pipe can do, but we know that we need to fill it up full of content. And it's not just going to be the typical telecom voice and data channels. So they're like, oh, okay, let's start, you know, acquiring media property. So, you know, they went and did that. And I mean, you know, they've had, you know, a, a couple decades of that. And then we've had disintermediation, right? Where, you know, we now have a fractionalized, you know, a media universe where you can go and Get yep. your news from almost anywhere, including podcasts like this. Um, and then there's the the consumer behavior, which is, you know, to your point, AJ, whereas I don't want to subscribe because these things have costs. And, you know, the the challenge that, you know, we see is particularly when you- And not to like, say
2: I'm not subscribed to any media. I'm just not subscribed to my local papers. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah,
3: but I mean, but, you know, we say that local media matters until it doesn't. And we're not willing to actually invest our money because we don't see the value in the product. And, you know, to your point, that is a bit of, of, of the death spell, right? So, <clears throat> I, I mean, Bell, unfortunately, I think, just really kind of caught themselves out with respect to having all these media properties where they thought they were actually going to be able to get content that people were wanting to value and that people were willing to pay for and unfortunately you know the one thing i think that has been you know the benefit of the internet besides ancestry you know .com is um, the fact that you know we can use it as this you know information harvester that allows us not to pay for things anymore and get things for free and turn us into a bunch of price hunters, right? And if I can get something for free, I'm not going to pay for it. And, you know, mm-hmm. don't necessarily see the value in it. So I, I see the economic case of, you know, why, you know, Bell decided they're going to d- depart with these, you know, 45 properties. I mean, they made decisions, you know, with respect to CJBK to, you know, close them yep. earlier on as, as, as a one-off. I mean, that sucks. 4,800 employees, about 9% of your workforce, you know, that sucks. But... I think we as consumers actually own a little bit of this in the sense that I you know that. if we want something, we should pay for it. Yeah. And if you want it to be good, yes. right? And if you only know, want it if, to be good. If it's good, I'll pay for it. Like I mean, yeah. you know, I subscribe to Black Rock Black Locks uh, Reporter, yeah, because it's good, oh. and I pay for it. You know, because it's good, right? I should start charging for this. Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> you could, you could. It's you good. Could. <laughs> uh, you know,
1: I, I could, but uh, we're we're okay with the uh, with the advertising dollars. Thanks to <laughs> yeah. our friends over at downtown London, the Covent
2: Garden Market. The other, <laughs> the, the other play? thing to remember though is, is historically, media used to be a very competitive landscape, and me as a consumer would choose to pay for the Globe versus the Toronto Star versus the National Post because I was competing for that. But the problem is in a lot of local media markets, it's been distilled down to one one. or maybe two providers across all channels. And so now as a consumer, I have no incentive to pay for anything because I can get the same stories from the Canadian press for free that are getting reprinted down in my local paper because there is no competition to actually differentiate yourself. Now, what I would say is on a federal funding perspective, them trying to fund reporters in existing newsrooms to me was a desperate move to try and keep some of these companies from doing what they've done. And it's clear that Bell did not work. Did that didn't work. They've broken that trust. And so to me, the federal government should be canceling that entire program. And where I think that money could go is let's fund new operations. Let's get new reporters on the ground, new infrastructure created around a local news media. But also, let's not saddle everything with this cultural baggage associated with, well, if you're going to get this funding, you have to meet XYZ and 45 pages of conditions associated with that money, because that also creates barriers for independent media and local media to form and really only restricts it to the large players itself. And so there's this big issue at the federal level that we have to resolve with the CRTC. And unfortunately, any party right now is... (laughs) has no useful plan, I think, to actually resolve that issue. I would agree with that. And and, and Trudeau uh, spoke passionately today. There's a lot of things he's right
1: about. There's some stuff that I wish they would do differently, competition committee and mergers and all that stuff. But that's a whole other podcast because we've been talking <laughs> for an hour, folks. Tonight. Wow, there we go. <laughs> it goes quick. Why do we always go along in this when yeah. I'm here? Uh, it uh, might be me. Might, might not be a coincidence, my friend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you so much to uh, Scott and to AJ and to Shana for doing the Friday Roundtable with us today. And thank you so much to our friends over at the Covent Garden Market and downtown London. We will be back with uh, more of the Craig Needles podcast next week, hoping for two episodes uh, plus roundtable next week. Just depends on how the schedule is and all that stuff. So hopefully that is going to be the case. Have you a wonderful weekend. If you're listening to us on Friday, and we will talk to you next week on ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca, and wherever you get your podcasts.
3: The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media
1: Podcast Network.